With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The world of work has changed dramatically, and organizations are evolving. A full or part-time MBA from UCD Smurfett School equips managers to react at pace and deliver change. Now is the time to transform your career and gain a new business network. Join our virtual MBA Experience Day on Saturday, November 20th. Register at smurfettschoolie forward slash events. UCD Michael Smurfett Graduate Business School. Developing impactful business leaders. We have reached episode number 27, Josh. Would you believe it? We're in the 27 club. We are. That's uh, almost... Well, that's over half a year. I really can't believe that, actually. God. Thanks for all who've been following us. <laughs> we, we remain your sweary pipe bomb of rugby knowledge. Uh, we are, mm-hmm. I like to think, Josh, the connect of rugby-related broadcasting. Yes, we are the, uh, the plucky little underdogs, as they say. We are, yeah. And we're going to keep banging that drum for as long as the drum is there to mm-hmm. be banged. Um, I am Lee Calvert, the editor of BrotherMud.com, and he is... I'm Josh Gardner of RugbyShieldWatch.com. He certainly is, and uh, that's all you're getting this week. Uh, I hope you enjoyed our little foray into a crossover with JB from the Rugby Podcast last week. Uh, uh, we might be something we try again, who knows, let us know what you think, at Blood and Mud or at Josh Gardner. Uh, if you thought it was okay, it seems to go down okay. Um, mm-hmm. We're now back to the original lineup. Yep. Like a like a, a bit like a nineteen seventies rock band back on tour after receiving a particularly hefty tax bill. Yeah, we're Mott the Hoople or something, aren't we? We are, yeah. Even though we actually quite doing this together, we're not, you know, reforming <laughs> out of necessity, so that's all right. Yes, yeah, no. Uh, we've the, we've got the usual bag of nonsense for you this week. Uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for your reviews and for your ratings on iTunes. Um, ratings <clears> like <throat> this one, Josh Lloyd in nineteen seventy nine gave us five stars, five whole stars. Well. Um, and said, Good I said, if you like rugby, particularly based in the Northern Hemisphere, you will enjoy this. Funny, insightful, and balanced. It doesn't take itself too seriously. It's for adults, so don't listen, kids. And if you're James Haskell, yeah, I think def- both of those disclaimers at the end are probably 
fair enough to be honest. I think that yeah. sums up our entire raison d'etre in a couple of sentences yeah, there. I so well done, Lloydy, and thank you. If yeah. like Lloydy, you want to have your review read out on here, or, or actually more thank more from our point of view, you'd like to just give us a bit of feedback because it's really helpful from our point <laughs> of view. Please <laughs> leave a few words. Yeah. Click on the stars there on iTunes. The majority of our listens are on iTunes. I know that because I've seen it on the. So don't pretend you're not out there listening on it. So please take a couple <laughs> of seconds if you enjoy spending an hour with us. Um, and there you go. I've shamed you enough, and I'm sorry. Right then, Josh, <laughs> we're going to start this week um, with a bit of a topical discussion. Um, I don't know about you, Josh, yes. but I can't get enough referendum talk. Oh, I just I love a referendum meme. It's literally one of my favourite things. The fact there's been two in two years where there was a three-month build-up where both sides said <coughs> exactly the same things repeatedly every day to different heads on a suit is a particularly... Mm edifying experience I think because, because if there's nothing I like more it's, it's being told the same thing over and over by a succession of bland men yes and particularly bland men in the same political party mostly mm. it's it's just I can't get enough of it that's democracy uh, it's, it's ah, an absolute peak so because of this mm. we've decided to have a bit of a referendum question of our own we said uh, what do you we threw out to Twitter and I'll ask you as well Josh but what would you like rugby to have a referendum on now mm. the responses we had from Twitter were, were many but um, first one Serial Vapist mm. on Twitter Paul Jeffries which is a very good handle if nothing else yes mm-hmm. said yeah. that he, he he would like a referendum <laughs> on Six Nations expansion how do you think that would go it's interesting actually What, yeah. what, what how do you think that yeah, one would I go think that's- Hmm. <laughs> I guess it depends on who they asked. Um, if they asked anybody who was involved in the money side of it, I imagine it yes. would go fairly straightforwardly no. But I reckon if you ask the general public, yeah, they, I reckon people would like to see Georgia involved or, or Romania or Spain. Or, or some Germany. kind of playoff system at least. Wouldn't yeah, they? exactly. Some sort of promotion. Most people would though. vote for that. Yeah, I think they would too. Uh, Andy Kearns on Twitter also suggested a referendum on the, fa- the salary cap. He didn't expand on whether he meant whether there should be one or it should be up to, or maybe that Saracens should stick to yeah. it, maybe. Maybe that's what he was driving at. <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd happily like to see Allegedly. a referendum on any of those things, to be honest with you, just to, <laughs> just to see. Um, a bit of a, a retrospective referendum from Paul Frame. He suggested we should have a referendum on broken time payments in the late 19th century. Uh, Which, yes, yeah. I mean, let's... Well, it would it might it might solve the the the, the two codes problem. Yeah, <laughs> if you I mean, actually. Uh... I, I think it's probably a little bit too late for that now, but it's yeah, never, it's never too late. Bo- it's never too late to solve a problem, is it? I think there's a bit of a horse bolt in it. Might there, be but... a tiny little bit, yeah. Um, Gareth Friston and Oshin C also said about uh, Six Nations expansion. Mm. Um, this is one that we're going to be talking about later, but Luke. Uh, Luke7HNS on Twitter said uh, there should be a referendum as to whether Wales should be forced to have at least one back move that isn't Jamie Roberts crash all in it <laughs> well it's funny you should say that because uh, possibly maybe even slightly related to this weekend I, I decided that there should be a referendum for all TMO decisions so I mean it's become abundantly clear that most referees and TMOs don't have a fucking clue what they're looking at half the time anyway so I say we put all TMO decisions to the popular public vote you're watching a game try a scored ref isn't sure download yeah download download the app yes or no and majority wins it's just just like ready steady cook um, <laughs> is it <laughs> fair <laughs> exactly is it, you hold up the green pepper yes no I mean is it fair no is it scientific hell no will it get more decisions wrong than right probably but it will save days of social media moaning and dozens of awful opinion columns because ultimately democracy voted for what they wanted to happen 
Also, I think if you did have a four-month campaign run up to the referendum, it would still be quicker than some TMO decisions. <laughs> exactly. I mean, the only difference is that we wouldn't have to listen to Nigel Farage, which, I mean, is... Yes. Nigel Farage, Marius Matreya, I mean, they're both somewhere near the top of my shit list at the moment anyway. So, um, more seriously, though, uh, I do think there should probably be a referendum for playing Six Nations uh, at the end of the season. As has been suggested by Gus Pichot in his new um, thing as uh, what is he vice president of the uh, yeah. of World Rugby now or some shit like that. He wants to sort the global season out, and one of his suggestions is maybe moving the Six Nations to April or May. And uh, I mean, watching that game as you know, as much as I didn't enjoy watching that game yesterday, you know, running rugby fans in shorts and t-shirts, sunshine. It's it's quite a nice thing to watch international rugby in that sort of scenario I think be interested to see what but people just saw. for a response to that just a, Jason Harris large rugby on Twitter back your point about use of the TMO or at least it should be a referendum about it being back to just try scoring only a point we've made numerous times mm. to go back to Gus Pichot though he's he's a lad who's enjoyed the Malbec since he retired hasn't he <laughs> yes I mean he's a damn handsome man as well he's, he's getting, looking I mean, well with that, that sweat back hair but he's, he's had a few pints of Malbec and on a sort of <laughs> on a chimichurri drip. I mean, he's no, he's no Serge Blanco, though, is he? I mean, come on. Oh, Serge is magnificent, <laughs> isn't he? He is. He must be about twenty-eight stone. Yeah, I mean, he's magnificent in the sense that he has been magnified from where he was. Yeah, I mean, he's he's weight. literally awesome. You can't really mm. comprehend him. He's so awesome. He literally. I mean, sometimes when as a player, you sort of got the feeling like there was two or three of him on the field at once because he was everywhere, but. I mean, now he is just two or three of what he used to be. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> there are some players that you look at, you just think about a week after you retire, you're going to be morbidly <laughs> obese. You see him, don't you? you look... And usually it's yeah. props, but you do see some back. I mean, Andy Goo's a classic example, isn't he? You're going to be morbidly oh, obese. Oh, absolutely, in a yes. Week. <laughs> yeah, and and Blanco is he is peak that yeah Gary uh, Jenkins you just knew his face was going to expand oh god yeah as definitely. soon as he retired and he has blessed I mean, I mean I sort of expected Scott Quinnell to go down that route but he's kind of kept oh. himself in pretty good nick he's speaking of Scott Quinnell what is he like on Sky by the way he uh, is I mean does Sky think that we won't notice the banality of what he's saying because he says it in that wonderful lilting sing-songy West Wales voice <laughs> he literally just is... says what is happening in slow motion on a replay in front of him yes but with a sort of a, a lot of enthusiasm yes which I mean there's a place for there's a place for enthusiasm don't get me wrong but yeah it's not exactly Andy Townsend in the tax, tactics truck is it <laughs> there's not a great deal of there's a great there's not a great deal of insight or analysis going on there I don't think Going back to our random, referenda, sorry, mm, uh, yes. Michael, it's Mike yes. yes on Twitter, said, and this is a big one, actually, this would be a hell of a referendum, wouldn't it? He said, as we have we have a referendum on picking one type of rugby, league or union, and then Ooh. basically whatever, <laughs> you have to abide by whatever there is. Now, that would be a once-in-a-generation choice. Never mind Scotland, never mind Europe. Now, that would be a once-in-a-generation <laughs> choice. That would be slightly unfair, though, because... I mean, league would get an absolute tuning there. Let's not. Be yeah, because even people in the north play union, don't they? Yeah, exactly, and and it would just be the north against Scotland, Ireland, Wales, the south of England, New <laughs> yeah. Zealand, uh, France, expats, and a lot. 
yeah, America, Canada, Argentina, <laughs> South Africa, against the north of England against, and, and Australia. Sydney. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and bits of New Zealand that are slightly confused. Have you been to Sydney, Josh? I've never been to no, I've never been to Sydney. I've never, I haven't, and I've never been to Sydney. But my uncle went the other week, and everyone raves about how brilliant Sydney is, don't they? And my uncle went mm. last year, and he said he couldn't quite understand why everybody <laughs> liked it so much because for him, it, it was just like Wigan in the seventies. So <laughs> what do you mean? He said it was just full of men who work working class men eating pies and watching rugby league. That was basically every pub he went into. Basically, no, there's not says anything I mean, wrong that, with that. Doesn't that. sound like a bad no, thing. No, not there's anything wrong with that. But it was just it doesn't seem like the, the paradise that people choose to describe. Mm. Um, Weather's a bit better than Wigan, though. Let's be honest. It must be. It must be. You know so. Uh, oh, and Josh, I did like your old friend reappeared on the referendum question. Patrick James says that oh, he yes. would like a referendum. He just simply said Steve Tandy. <laughs> he wants a referendum on Steve Tandy. I mean, yeah. I, I, he knows my feelings now. I, I'm a, a bought and paid for member of the Steve Tandy hmm, fan club. Has he um, had? Has he still got a job, Steve Tandy? Uh, yeah. I mean, they seem to be looking to replace all of the coaches but him, which is always a great, encouraging sign. Mm. Um, but he is, is for the time being, at least ensconced. How, are you going to... Whoever else you get is going to cost more money, aren't they? Well, yeah, but we've actually got a bit of money now. And there's no there's no need for this bargain basement shit anymore. Uh, well, anyway, well, yeah. we shall see. Uh, got the whole summer to work on that one. Um, uh, referendum, maybe mm. I, I'd fancy referendum on not having ridiculous international matches in the same weekend as domestic finals. Yeah, well, the, the very fact that yesterday there were four games of rugby played at Twickenham, mm. um, including the the county championship shield trophy and some fucking other under 18s thing, like. And then an international in the middle of it for absolutely no reason whatsoever. It's like, especially. I mean, we'll get onto it later. But just what what was the point of that? They might as well have just played a. If they played a behind closed doors friendly, I wouldn't have really minded. Mm. If they need some a hit out and some match practice, that's fine. But a few people on Twitter making us pay. A for few it. people on Twitter came forward with a very very good point. If you're gonna play a fixture at this time as a warm up, then why not get one of the second tier some second tier nations in? And share a bit of the gate with them. I completely agree. I completely agree with that. But the difference is, I think, is that bafflingly, and I'm amazed at this, eighty-one thousand fucking people went to watch. But that I think it's pointless pile of shit. But there'll be loads of people who can't normally get tickets to the Six Nations who'd have got them, isn't there? Yeah, but it's like it's... hopefully that they will. Well, they probably won't because they'll have seen England win and they'll be a happy bunny. But you know that wasn't a proper test match yesterday. That was just a fucking shambles. And it's not like, you know, Wales seconds versus England's thirds is kind of not really the most edifying way to continue the brave grand tradition of England versus Wales, I don't think. There Certainly not. Uh, point of order on that one, I don't think it was necessarily completely a Wales seconds team. No, I was, it, it was. there was quite a lot of yeah. first team in there. I'm not disputing it, but, you know, it was a team that was shorn of quite a lot of fairly important players um, but more than that it was just like what What are we is that really what we want from the fixture that's one of the oldest fixtures in rugby union is to be 
played the day after a Premiership final as part of a four-game slate. Well, while we're talking in about front. it, we might as well talk about it, might we, rather than pausing. Yeah, we might as well. Let's go straight next. into this. As I yeah. said, um, you know, the point... I don't really want to talk about well, no. it for a variety of reasons. We, we, but, we, I mean... we honestly considered not talking about it at all, but I think we just there's too much in it really to, to not talk about yeah. it. Also, the fact as you, the point you made, let's talk about the big game at Twickenham this weekend. Uh, that the one of the big games at Twickenham this weekend, Cornwall beat Cheshire in the county championship. <laughs> That, Good for them. That, That's second year on the bounce, isn't it? Yeah, and haven't they won? They've, they've, been, they've been to 15 finals and won five. Cornwall has yes, been in their history. Yeah. It's pretty, pretty good going. So fair play. And a few people did say on Twitter, are you going to mention that Cornwall won? Yes. And this seems like a particularly great achievement when you consider that our friends at Launceston Rugby Club mm. are in Cornwall, who've had a hell of a minging, supersonically bad season, uh, and yet here they yes. are winning the, winning the county championship. I know it doesn't make like, I'll level with you the English county championship in a rugby sense I don't understand it at all no I mean I it literally makes I don't I don't understand how it works I don't understand how it how they play where the yeah I don't know what the pools are I mean, yeah how is it knockout is, no, it, uh, is it pool based is it caught? I don't know either it's this sort of weird artifact from a, a time long long past and I quite I like the fact that it still goes on because it's you know, it's not hurting anyone, is it? And it's quite nice to have this that like players from the lower tiers get to have their big day out at Twickenham. But yeah, that for me was a much more significant game as far as anything mattering than fucking England Wales was yesterday. That's for sure. I mean, the old mutual wealth trophy. <laughs> Did you see that fucking thing? Like it was like the most comically oversized trophy that you would ever see it was you know, bigger than the premiership yeah. trophy I'm sure of it and yet for a game that was, was basically a cynical money making exercise what? and just like talk about insecurity it makes me it reminded me in, in, in Scarface the film when Tony Montana gets money and to prove that he's got this amount of money he has like his this TM yeah. monogram on like at the back of his chair does he and has a tiger in his garden mm. It's almost like to prove, look, yes. look how fucking good I am. Because he knows deep down yes, it's, it's, he's a scumbag, really. Now, I am not saying England yeah, Wales is a scumbag, the, but the point is, you can see the points I'm trying to make. Yes, it's, it's, it, it speaks of insecurity regarding the very existence of the thing to have a ridiculously ornate trophy. It's trying to make it look like it matters more than it actually does because what matters is not at all. Um, Are these trophies gem like this? I remember it's like you know, like razors know. by twenty fifty. You're gonna have eighteen blades. <laughs> you know? Yes. Wilkinson sort of yeah. said, "Fuck it, we're having twelve sort of thing." You know, it's kind. Of, <laughs> this is how these trophies are going now, isn't it? Yeah. Well, basically, by by twenty fifty, they will require like an articulated lorry to slowly bring the trophy on, and then the entire team will have to lift as one just to lift it up. In yeah, they'll be lowered in by crane, won't they? Yeah. To win the Killick Cup or whatever <laughs> ridiculous fucking thing. Uh, yeah, oh. so let's talk um, about England-Wales. Um, I just couldn't sum it up yeah. a great deal of enthusiasm about it. I got berated a little bit on Twitter for this, for not feeling it that much, because it's England-Wales. and But I just don't think that it's it can not... be a truly England-Wales team when the two best teams in England can't put their players into the England yeah. team and loads of other players yeah. are not there for Wales and... either, even though I think Wales were stronger than England on paper. Yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely. But like most of the players who were involved in any kind of overseas stuff over the last couple of weeks were rested, so there was no Luke Charteris, there was no Bradley Davis, no John Davis. 
and just it it was less the teams that were on show and more just the general effort. Yeah. Like I mean, I get it. Northern Hemisphere teams rightly want to have a bit of match practice before they go on tour because they don't want to be undercooked when they have to play the All Blacks or Australia or South Africa yeah. or whoever. Like that's understandable. But if they want to do that, I mean, like you, like we said, you know, why not get a tier two team in and give them the exposure that they deserve? Like, are you trying to tell me yesterday that England wouldn't have got a better test against like a motivated hungry Georgia or Fiji or Samoa or Canada or whoever? You know, what's the point in going to play the Southern Hemisphere and warming up by playing another Northern Hemisphere team that you've played like three months previously? It's like Wales are not going to give you know. People are, you know, purring about how good England were yesterday. That was a complete fucking waste of time for England, because Wales are not anything like Australia. No. Like the 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 challenge that Wales like posed to England, even you know, as pathetically shit as it was, is not anywhere. It's, it's not the same kind of, that of challenge game, that Wales Australia. Anything really. like a rugby team. Never mind Australia. Well, no, I mean. Th- that's I mean that's you take that entirely away from it. Even if Wales, when Wales were playing relatively okay in the first half, they were still playing like Wales. They weren't playing like Australia. There was no speed of ball, rock ball. There was no interesting attacking patterns. There was no incredibly dynamic work at the breakdown. You know, there was no fucking open side on the field for Wales. They've had to call Alice Jenkins out, like uh, Avenger. <laughs> yeah, thank God for that. It's about it should have happened in the first place. Taking one open side to New Zealand was insanity, but um, no, it's just like you look at that, and, and I mean, in many ways, I mean, England probably played more like the All Blacks, you know, the sort of challenge that Wales will face against the All Blacks than yeah, than Wales yeah, will yeah. face against you know, if you think, yeah, if England had played against Fiji or Samoa yeah. or someone like that, then how is you know that that gets them into the mindset of playing against the Southern Hemisphere team. Instead, all they've just gone is, oh, we'll just play against plodding fucking Wales, sell 80,000 tickets. And then, you know, in two weeks' time, they're going to come up against Australia, and all of a sudden they're going to realise that, yes, some teams are able to recycle their ball quickly and attack out wide with precision, and it's going to be a Wales, whole different um, ball game. And, of course, I mean, was it just before the game, or just after the game, that New Zealand named the squad that's going to comprehensively dismantle Wales, basically? And if and if you weren't sure about that, but I mean, if, imagine uh, yeah, Wales it was, it was now, in the morning, and you've just lost to England, relatively comfortably lost. Yeah, oh, we, and then you've got, got to go and play that New Zealand Absolutely squad, dicked. and you've got Gatlin saying things like, "Oh, they play like that." I put yeah. that down to them not being together at this level for a little while, which strikes me as an absolute, you know, cesspool full of bollocks coming out of his mouth. But that's kind of par for the course, isn't it? Really, but um. <coughs> Well, exactly, yeah. I mean, that's the thing, though, because Gatlin has, has sort of implied several times in the past that the reason that Wales usually look good in the World Cups and they struggle a little bit in um, in the Six Nations, and particularly in the autumn, is because a large part of his job is basically... You know, like when teach, how teachers say that they spend, like, the entire sort of first four or five weeks yeah. of a school term basically teaching yeah. unruly children to behave themselves again and then they finally do a little bit of teaching in the last two weeks then they go on all day and then they 
forget it all and they have to start from scratch. <laughs> Maybe that's just the teachers I know. Um, I kind of, I think that's kind of what happens with Gatland. He sort of feels like yeah. he spends most, like he needs these training camps and he needs this time with the Wales players to kind of beat all of the bollocks that they've been told at their regions out of them. I've got to hang off a mountain in Poland play the way so that you can, he wants so them can, to. So you can unlearn what you have learned. <laughs> yeah, you must unlearn what you have learned, indeed. And and I, I kind of feel like that's the thing that he's getting at there. But, I mean, for God's sake, they've most of these players have been playing in his system for at least, six, you know, five or six years, if not like eight or nine and years. And it's not a complicated so system it for doesn't, lots of things. No, it doesn't wash anymore. I mean, fair enough. Fair enough. Wales usually start the tour by playing a fucking abysmal, embarrassing game. So if this was Gatlin's mulligan and him just going, well, let the players go out there and absolutely shit themselves for 80 minutes and then we'll fix it, mm. then fair enough. But I, I don't actually believe that and I don't think he does deep down. I mean... I'm going to save my massive vitriol and opprobrium for Warren Gatlin's tactics and team selection when we talk about the tours in more depth next week. But yeah, um, yeah, for me, Wales gained nothing from that game beyond realising that playing Dan Lydia or James King at seven is a shite idea um, and that we've forgotten how to tackle or defend, uh, which is good because it's not like we'll need either of those <laughs> in New Zealand either. <laughs> um, but I mean, you, you said the um, point about it wasn't much use to England because Wales are not like Australia. I, I would probably slightly disagree with that because I think it was some use, certainly to Eddie Jones, in probably what he's trying hmm. to think. Australia minute is probably quite useful because a lot of the people selected are going with the Saxons and stuff, aren't yeah. they? So it's not actually a number of them, yeah. aren't it? Yeah, in so a grander probably, scheme of. And it was noticeable, yeah. I think, how much more hungry to prove themselves, I think. Uh, the England team were they did seem yeah. that Wales team know they're going to get selected they know it doesn't really matter they don't, they don't want to lose but they just think well oh, it's, it's fucking up now whatever let's just carry on we know we're, we're all going to be playing again next week and so on so whereas I think yeah, this well, England team was like a look at me look at me look what I can do type performance people like Clifford Ben Youngs was trying yeah, to there was be a better. hunger there I'm not sure he was really succeeding He's, he was mm. better but I still oh, not really I still don't get it with what with Wales, though, it just looked like particularly... I mean, we can probably disagree about this, but the whole knock-on TMO fiasco thing, you know, whether you think it was a knock-on, whether you don't, you know, Wales clearly it felt wasn't. like they were massively hard done by at that point. It was. <laughs> um, but... <laughs> it went backwards out of his hand. How um, could it be a knock-on? It went backwards off. It went backwards after being knocked forward onto Ross Mott anyway. Um, yes. One thing I can but say from a team point of view, they have like to agree with this. Do you think one. it was that clear and obvious? Because I think even with the replays, people would disagree. So therefore, it wasn't clear and obvious. Therefore, it's a trap. Um, yeah, I think because he said clear and obvious, I can understand why he said it. But I think that was the wrong thing to ask. <laughs> it comes back to the silly thing of... Yeah, tell them what they're looking for sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, but yeah, they for me, they just gave up. As soon as that um, TMO decision went against them, you know, obviously Dan Bigger fucking lost his mind um, and everybody seemed quite pissed off. But from that point on, it just seemed like Wales went, oh, fuck it. This isn't our day, lads. Let's just let's just get through this and go home. And you could look at it. They, they, a defensive pattern went to shit. All the first up tackles, just they were suddenly falling off them left, right and centre. You know, basically for the last 30 minutes of the game... 
they their heads were in the shed. They didn't have any care or concern for what was actually going on in front of them. And I think that it's like you said, the England players had something to prove, whereas none of those Wales players, with the exception of the one that did have a good game, which is mm. Ross Moriarty, had anything to prove or gain by it. And so, you know, they were just like, well, this is a meaningless game. This has already gone badly. We're annoyed and slightly pissed off about it. So let's just basically throw our toys out of the pram, which was quite embarrassing, to be honest, and didn't really show a lot of respect for the shirt mm. that they were playing in. But yeah, yeah whatever. Yeah, so I think the thing is, what I don't think these, if you. They shouldn't do these things too often, I don't think. I don't why. I still don't not. understand why it started this year. And maybe I've missed a trick here because I don't really know when the announcement was. I just, I actually only kind of realised about three weeks ago. Shit, that game's coming up at the end of May. It was a bit of a kind of well, England surprising. usually play the England usually play the Barbarians, don't they? Oh, that's true. Yeah, was it more and valuable so, than a Barbarians game to England? Probably. Yeah, I was. But you've got to ask was. what Wales's motivation is, haven't you? Because uh, it's well, done more uh, damage to Wales than good. It's not just been neutral the, for Wales. It's probably been damaging. No, it's just. But I don't think that was probably the intention. They probably thought that it would be quite a tight game, but and it probably should have been, and it was for like fifty minutes until mm. they basically threw the towel in. So, yeah, it's a funny one because I I noticed that Mike Phillips on Twitter was and a couple of other former Welsh players basically said it's about time. They had a warm-up game, like, finally. We've been asking for a warm-up game before we went on tour for years. So this is perhaps something that's come from the players, Mm. that they want to have a good hit-out before they go down under. And that's fine, but, yeah, I don't think it should be England-Wales. I don't think it should be, you know... But why not organise to play from some provincial teams from somewhere? They'd snap your hand off for that, wouldn't they? Exactly. The old traditional tour teams. Go down a week, fly out a week early, play one of them instead. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that Wales would have quite a good run out if they played against the Chiefs or the Crusaders. Or, or... even against Bay of Plenty or something, anybody, you know. Yeah. Some... yeah. It's not like any of these are bad teams, and certainly they'll have. It's just. Yeah, there's there are a variety of things that I don't like about it. <laughs> Ultimately, I think the reason that it the fixture was what it was and was where it was was that they sold 80,000 tickets at 50 quid a pop. Yeah, somebody did when I was having a go about it on Twitter. Somebody did. Somebody did just respond to me, and I can't remember who it is, but did respond to people just by saying "kerching," because that was the whole. That's when you come back to it, that's what it is, and that's a, you know we live in a in a world of you know you've we got live to be in a material world. Yeah, <laughs> yes, <laughs> and they are all material girls, all of them. Exactly. Um, uh, I did think though, um, England playing with an actual number seven. Um, well, what do you look at that? That was that was probably the the most important takeaway I think I'd have. What when he came the off the whole thing? Well, I mean, Clifford's more of a proper seven than. Well, he's playing at eight, wasn't he? But yeah, I suppose. Yeah. What I don't understand is someone with dynamism in that background. Yeah, and he, he's not I'm a traditional. Is. He's not a traditional fetcher, Clifford. But what he's a better bet than I know. I'm good. You know. Well, of course, I'm going to say this. But he's a better bet than Haskell, <laughs> right? For for two yeah. reasons. He's got the work rate of Haskell, which people always say Haskell's brilliant at. He's big and strong. He's you know Haskell's not stronger than Haskell. He carries better than Haskell. So actually, if you're gonna go for that mm. seven who isn't the mm-hmm. jackler, Clifford's a better option. Yeah. Yeah. Or even Harrison. Yeah, he's on the wrong side of the scrum and... as well. But I suppose Jones is treating this game yeah. slightly differently. I think he was looking at this. He'd, Let's just try this out, and I'll work it mm. out in Australia, sort of thing. 
He's in a very different. He's, yeah. he's in a very That's, different. He hasn't gone wrong for. Him. He and he's in a very different so place to Gatlin, so, who was I mean... playing Lydiate at seven. Fuck's that all about? Mm. Well, it just comes back to what I was saying earlier, like not picking one of James Davis or Alice Jenkins for a tour to New Zealand and thinking that James King could play open side, potentially, is insane. A genuine batshit insane. And that was proved by, oh, Sam Warburton's our only fit open side. Oh, he's he's not going to be fit in time. Oh, so we'll play Dan Lydiate at seven, that well-known dynamic... All hands, all support running and dynamism. All, yeah, exactly. I can't think of a worse seven than Dan Lydiate I can't. in terms of a back row player because he has none of the skills. Well, yeah, fair enough. But that's the thing. Lydia is basically, yeah. you know, he offers a lot of the similar qualities to Haskell, but without the stratospheric ego. My last and... point on Haskell, right? My last, mm. and it's just, just reminding me. And I'll ask you this, and you know, you're relatively impartial on this. I know you get kind of guilt by association, by proximity <laughs> I do. to me. On this. I don't actually hate him as much as you. I do when can you actually him. remember him running a support line? Because I struggle. <laughs> I can remember he did it when he ran into the post. <laughs> and that you know I suppose that can happen to anybody yeah. it was brilliant when it happened but the point is is that he doesn't it was do... one of my favourite things ever and it's like, yeah. well, alright he doesn't he's not great at the big he doesn't jackal very much he's not that dynamic when it comes to like tackle breakdown st- stuff alright he's strong but actually he doesn't even do other bits that a seven should be doing like support running and stuff like that so I like to, I know no. I know I have this joke ongoing thing there, but I, I don't think I am completely blinded to what is weak you know I accept he does have some strengths but I cannot see how they they mm. Like I said last week, it's you, you focus on what a player can do, what he can't do, and try and make the best balance. And when you look at what he can do, there's plenty that can do that, and there's but there's also plenty can do the things mm. he can't do. That's why I get so frustrated. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like when you, we're living in a world where a player like Justin Tipperick is regarded as not having enough of an all-round game to play seven internationally on a consistent basis. Mm. It's something that I don't disagree with. But if this is a man who can do things with a rugby ball that no other open side in the world can do in terms of his intelligence his, his ball handling skills his, his general athleticism and yet we've come to the you know the final conclusion that Tipperick has a place and it's not starting and yet somebody like Haskell that is such a sort of pedestrian player he really is a, he's he an is. honest player he's, he he's, is, he's profoundly middling he's, he's like he's a relic of a bygone age in the same way that sort of I'm starting to develop this slight feeling that Warren Gatland is sort of the Louis van Gaal of rugby in that you know things have moved on and he's kind of been left behind the team has somewhat been left behind and Ireland are in a similar position as well but like James Haskell feels like a player from 2009 when the game was much more attritional the game was much more sort of it wasn't nearly as open and uh, you know the things have moved on Eddie Jones is clearly trying to move that in England's game on in that regard and you know there's there's talk of it being done in Wales and in Ireland as well with middling and to limited results you know but he doesn't have enough he doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't work in the modern he game he doesn't have enough core skill mm. and what I mean by core skill is pace pass and, and running intelligence I suppose 
Yeah. He doesn't have enough of it. That's my issue. Anyway, I can't go on about that again. So there you go. Having said that, we reluctantly talked about the England Wales game. We probably spent about fifteen minutes on it there. So yeah. that was quite. Imagine if we really wanted to talk about it. I wish we would have gone off. Um, let's on to go happier times then. On to happier times. Let's look at the finals mm. from, from from this weekend. Let's let's yes. talk with the, a review of the Aviva Premiership then. Mm. Uh, if, you'd, if you'd have told me at the start of the weekend that one of these finals would be a fairly comprehensive one-sided victory by a clearly superior team and the other one would be a relatively exciting competitive game on the scoreboard at least where the team with the greater experience and depth came out on stop despite a stirring effort from the underdog I'm not sure I would have picked the two that actually yeah I don't think I would have had Premiership as yeah you'd have swapped them around wouldn't you yeah, that's very true yeah. that's a very good point I mean, sa- I mean, having said that the scoreboard looked quite close but I still think Saracens looked about as vulnerable oh, they... as, as, Val- as Vladimir Putin in a Russian election basically they were yeah the, it was the fact of the matter is it was it was tense tight and exciting for like two minutes yeah between Noah scoring extra second and Goose scoring the winner other than that it was pretty much a procession wasn't it I mean Saracens were what 20 points to the good at half time it was mental disintegration yeah. from Exeter and actually I start I, I I know that fans of Exeter will have a massive go at me about this and I'm pretty sure that other people won't be very happy about it either than the Exeter players anyway but I don't actually I do not believe that they believe they could win that game yeah I mean let's not forget also that Exeter only got close in the last 15 minutes which is when Mark McCall, Mark McCall was so confident that Saris would win and that they'd already put the game to bed that he chucked the cadaver formerly known as Charlie Hodgson on at 10 which I assume was the universally accepted signal amongst the Saracens players to start waving to their families and soaking up the applause I mean they yes they got a bit of belief at the end and it was a stirring fight back but they were completely overawed for that first 40 and you can't get away with that against a team like Saris they didn't like it's not surprising that they're overawed by you know the biggest game in the club's history, I guess. Yeah. Um, and if they if the, they might, I'm sure at some point they'll come back, and it won't nearly be quite so daunting for them. But I mean, you only have to look at the sort of all the individual errors and stuff that were going on to see what you know. It was just they never expected to be there at the start of the season, whereas Saris absolutely did. And it showed. Yeah, I mean, take you, you mentioned Mark McCall there. What I noticed was, and I tweeted during the game, was that he he almost looks bored. <laughs> the wins are so expected, oh, I think now, and he just knows he just has to like send them out there, you know, yeah. fly my pretties, fly, and out they go and they go and do their <laughs> job, you know. And he just kind of sits there. I know he's quite, he's quite a, he's, he's, his countenance doesn't give away much, but I do think he just kind of, you could see he's almost like, well, we're going to win this. I'm just going to sit here and play on my phone for a bit you know it's kind of yeah it's, it's it's we joke about them having sort of you know software and all that stuff installed to smash dreams etc but you know they do play in this kind of incredibly relentlessly efficient way that just yeah i mean he it looks to everyone else like they they could never lose a game so to him it just must having seen them training all week and know exactly what the game plan is he just thinks, well, I've got the players, I've got the tactics. Yeah, it must be like being Steve be Davis in 1981 in snooker, you know. Basically, I just turn up, mm. sit there, look blank face and just batter everybody. It's just the easiest job in the world, you know. <laughs> yeah, and they do they do make it look easy. And it, it's kind of, 
it I mean, does them a little bit of a disservice because what they're doing right absolutely now is not, not. And we don't mean it's and just it's easier for somebody sat in the stands no. to do it, looking at it and doing it because mm. because you just know they're going to win because all the work's been done, I suppose. He's known since sort of February yeah. this is coming. Uh, you know that this is, I suppose, and yeah, it's nice to be able to sit back and relax and play, enjoy the fruits of his labour. I suppose. <laughs> yes, and go go on, Charlie. Have your fifteen minutes of on you go, Stanley Tucci. Go enjoy Yeah, I mean the even. I mean, this sounds like I'm having a go, and I'm not. They even cheat better than other people. I mean, yeah, their, their, really their tackle do. line is offside, eighty percent mm. of the time. You know, they're up very, and very yet, quick to a point at which, and it's not that they're so quick, they're just so quick, it looks like they're offside. They're offside a number of times. Yeah. And I, and all just, credit to they them. They do it so much that they don't, they don't notice Well, they're it, like a they? brilliant it's... seven who can get his hands on the ball on the floor and nobody notices. You know, nobody has a go at them about mm. that. That's brilliant. Well done. You're fucking brilliant at your position. And that's what they do, effectively. Yeah. And you really can't. Their defence is, is, is in, it's right on the edge of legal and beyond it, but... As with any, you know, anything in rugby union, you get away with what you can get away with, and if you get away with it, then good on yeah. you. And they're the best at pushing those laws to the limit. And fair play yeah. to them. Uh, an incredible season, an incredible team. We don't, you know, we don't yeah. like them very much. You've got, but I've got nothing but respect no. for them, and I recognise how great. Absolutely. I recognise what a great team they are. They really are. They are quite comfortably the best team in Europe. They're um, really chippy on Twitter. Have you noticed? Not all of them. You get a lot. Of t- I haven't. I get a lot of chippy fans. Me, I think because I have a pop at them, and it's like all well, men respect that is it. I said, mm. well, I think I've given you respect all season. I just like to have a bit of a pop at you as well. You know, that's fine. But I was, I've done nothing but respect yeah. what you do. What they can, they're confusing. Yeah, they're confusing respect with being liked. Yeah. And <laughs> yes. No, no team that goes about its business the way that Saris does, that has a fucking song. That has a bunch of fans wearing fezes and has a allegedly legally that know devious um, attitude to the salary cap. Um, it's all about the humility, I mean, Josh. Yeah, exactly. And, and yes, they are. They can talk. Oh, they're you know they're just a good, honest team. You know, they're brothers. And I, I, I definitely see that they are. Yeah. But they're also a team with a real niggle and a nasty side and an edge. Yeah. And that's part of what makes them good. But that part of what also makes neutrals not warm to them in the way that you warm to a team like like Connacht or Wasps or Connacht. <laughs> so that's that's a link, right? There's there. a link. So you don't want to like with a team like Connacht. Talking about Exeter not mm. believing, as I did before. Connacht. I don't think that Exeter believed for one second they could win that game. Connacht believed for all the no. seconds, all the minutes of every hour. Leading up to that game and throughout it, that they could win that game. It was wonderful. I know. When we talk about quitting smoking... When my first child was born, for them... Obviously money. We talk about why so much. Health for myself. My family. I'm a mom. It becomes part of the habit. The smell of my clothes. You've already talked about why you want to quit. So let's start talking about how. If you stop smoking for 28 days, you're five times more likely to quit for good. For tips, tools and real support, visit quit.ie or free phone 1-800-201-203 and make the next stop your last stop from the HSE. As more sectors across Ireland are reopening, the COVID-19 pandemic unemployment payment is changing. If you're currently receiving this payment, the amount you receive will change from the 16th of November. 
To find out more about how these changes will affect you, visit gov.ie forward slash pupchanges. A Government of Ireland initiative brought to you by the Department of Social Protection. It was marvellous, wasn't it? And let's not forget, I know we said it time and time again, but this was not supposed <laughs> to happen. The IRFU have given Connacht less funds and resources than the other three provinces for years. Yep. They're supposed to be the crash yep. for they've players got, who then move on to more palatable reasons while duking out with the Dragons. You know, <laughs> They've got roughly 25% of the playing base of Leinster as a province mm. to, to bring through. They've got hardly any money. The ground yep. holds 7,500 people and it's called Galway yep. Sports Grounds. Which basically means you know that there's kids, <laughs> there's kids playing camogie on it during the week and stuff. Exactly. And it looks and it's kind of on the it looks like it's on the Iron Islands because it's right next to the sea. And it's everything. <laughs> well, it is basically new Star like Wars, a friendly version it? of the Iron Islands, it's you know. Like, and it's just as yeah. as Duncan McKay said on Twitter, which I thought was very good, that they're like the they're like the Leicester FC of the Pro Twelve, except I don't want to visit Leicester. <laughs> <laughs> that was a great way of putting it. Yeah. yeah, I'd actually like to go and exactly. see them. And I don't particularly want to go and see Leicester. Mm. But like I've talked, people have talked a little bit slightly to I think just because they're slightly sour about it. But they've talked about how the IRFU has started giving Connacht a bit more money in recent years, and that's true. They've given them like a million quid, but that's money. That's... But they used to give them half the amount of the other. Really. Exactly. That's, you know, it's a relative. It's relative that thing. You know. Yeah, and also that money is earmarked to improve coaching and facilities in the province, mm. which you would imagine was done with the thinking that improving the coaching and player development would mean that they produced more players for the other provinces, not that they would become the best team in Ireland and the best team in the Pro 12. I mean... With with a number of cast-offs and some they've brought through. I mean, yeah, like it's not like they've bought... like Yeah, they've had a bit more money, but it's not like they've bought that success. Like, the Bundyaki aside, like, the squad are almost exclusively... Connacht born and bred or even more gallingly for the team who were on the losing side on Saturday there's mm. a lot of rejects and cast offs from Leinster's uh, yeah. yeah I mean Healy and Adi Loken are both uh, came from the like Dublin uh, colleges weren't they yeah. Dublin colleges yeah and I mean Leinster though talk about peaking early I mean they were so good against Ulster last week but they were so bad on Saturday Like, but I don't think they were given the time to be good no Connacht came at them at a thousand miles an hour. The angles they were running, the passes they were making—I mean, it wasn't perfect. But I don't think it, they couldn't settle into a game plan at all, at all. Mm. And at halfback, they were—they were—they were schooled, really, absolutely schooled. Yeah, I mean, it, it was kind of—it's not often that you say that AJ McGinty's going to outduel Johnny Sexton, but he was comfortably better. And I mean, I thought it, it was just. The whole thing just kind of felt like Leinster looked like they they'd done that before, and it wasn't. It's like we were talking about Wales and England and earlier. It's like the hunger just wasn't there from Leinster. Yeah. It's like most of those guys have won the Pro Twelve on multiple occasions. They've played in finals before, and they kind of you could see that they sort of thought that they knew how it was going to go, and it and as soon as it didn't, they did not have a plan B. They didn't have. No. A sort of solution to that, and they just looked really passive and sluggish as a regard as a result. You know, Ben Teo was awful, yeah. really bad. Ben Teo made three meters. <laughs> Aki, Aki made forty. Yeah, and it actually says something about this. Um, 
this point that was made last week, have we seen peak Ben Taylor? Yeah, I think, I think JB league? was that, spot on there. That was a very, very big example of coming up against somebody of true class. He, I mean, it might have just been a bad game, but if yeah. that's a sign of things to come, then because a lot of Leinster had a bad game, to be yeah, fair. Yeah, true. Pretty I mean, Heaslip, who looks a bit baffled most of the time anyway, looked like super baffled on Saturday. He didn't seem to be... Yeah, it was like one of those things where just they couldn't quite understand. It was almost like they expected the old Connock to turn up and all but new Connock turned up and they were just slightly surprised that, oh, this isn't a team of, you know, cast-offs and second-rate players that's going to roll over and have their tummies tickled. They, you know, they play practically Southern Hemisphere rugby in terms of their offloading and the way that they keep the ball away from contact and they just didn't have an answer for it at all. I mean, the Adi Loken's try was a wonderful thing. He's because... some lad, isn't he, Adi Loken? He's just he's, he's like so... wiry and thin, and looks yeah. looks he looks quite, and he's pacey, but he doesn't he doesn't look like he should have any strength, and actually he's like a sherpa. Mm. He's it's he looks like he should be a distance runner, not a rugby player, doesn't he? He has that sort yeah. of. He doesn't seem to have any bulk in his upper body, which, I mean, it's usually well, a bit of a... he's really hard to put down, isn't he? Mm. Really hard well, to put down. Look at the contrast in ability between him and Dave Dave Carney. Oh, Dave Carney, yeah. man. He, he, he looks and plays like a baffled puffin. It's... I, I, I'm... Seriously, what is <laughs> Joe Smith's... Like, Joe Smith seems to rate... I mean, he's like the less handsome Carney brother for starters. Yeah. And yet he's... Matt Healy and Adia Logan, both Ireland qualified, and yet for somehow Dave Carney, who, with the greatest respect to him, he's a bag of shit. Absolutely shit. I mean, he is a plodding lump with a five o'clock shadow, and that's all he's done. He scored a brace on his debut in 2013, and then since he scored one try against Canada in three years. And yet... Apparently he's an automatic pick for Joe Schmidt, while Matt Healy, who looks absolutely electric and scores tries, makes tries, and generally looks like an Irish Shane Williams, is left out in the cold. That's baffling to me. Yeah, and apparently you're saying because Schmidt puts a lot of emphasis on the defensive side of his back three, <laughs> and then of course he was like a revolving door, wasn't he, for most mm. of the game? I just don't get well, it. Well, that's at the all. thing. He's got the he's got this huge upper body, and then he can't use it to tackle. Baffling. Absolutely baffling. Yeah. It's as baffling as mm. he looks baffled, but, but um, if you, <laughs> I mean the, the thing about Connick is the story's brilliant in itself, so that's enough. Mm. Mm. But it's added to the style of play that Pat Lamb gives them the belief to play. Absolutely, it's, it's, it really is enough to warm the highest <clears throat> nodules of the coldest of hearts, isn't it? It's unbelievable. Yeah, and it's so it's such a great story. It's one of my favourite things that's happened in rugby this year. And so it's really sad that nobody gives a shit about it <laughs> beyond <laughs> beyond us. beyond I beyond Connor fans, Irish fans, and a few Twitter rugby mad types like me and you. Like the BBC didn't even broadcast it in Wales, Scotland, or Northern Ireland. Wales Online didn't do a single thing about it beyond Match Report because apparently there's literally no interest in it from the readers. Like, I mean, Such even as shame, an apologist. And an advocate of the Pro 12 like me, there's just no getting away from the fact that it struggles to pull people in unless you're directly involved. Mm. And, like, how many neutrals were watching the Premiership final on Saturday afternoon? Quite a lot, I'd imagine. I'd imagine. But, then how many were, but then how many were watching Connacht Leinster a few hours later? 
probably not that many. At least two, I, I, me and hard. you, Josh. Well, yeah, exactly. And and all of the sort of Twittery types that we follow, but the pro talk about the Pro 12 usually leads to talk about how it's a weak league. And I think that is overblown to an extent. Yeah. It's a weaker league, but it's not necessarily yeah. a weak league. That's the, It's not the same no. thing. And as good as Connacht are, though, I do think that, like, any team in the top four of the Premiership probably would have won the Pro 12 this year. Like, yes. I love Connacht. I've, I've enjoyed watching them. But you look at sort of some of the results that they've had this season. You know, they've, they've struggled to beat the Dragons both home and away this season. They did in the end, but they lost like 34-28 and things like that. But I'm not you know, sure how many teams will live with them playing the way they played on Saturday. Yeah, I... I they, they are. I'm not. I don't, I don't want to sound like I'm being negative about Connor because I'm really not. I, I loved everything about. They play fantastic rugby. I've enjoyed every moment that I've watched them this season, except for the times when they beat the Ospreys. Um, but I just think something has got to be done to make the Pro 12 a more compelling occupation, like proposition for the neutral, because the yeah. fact of the matter is that the the pool of fans is too small to sustain it as an interesting thing as it is at the moment and you know I've seen numerous Welsh fans on Twitter this week just basically saying I don't give a fuck about the Pro 12 final and part of me thinks why and can't understand it because it's still the final of the league that you've competed in this year and it's still good rugby uh, I mean, it's a high profile rugby game yeah. why would you not give a shit about it I don't understand that at all like it's a mentality that is alien to me because if you know, I'm speaking as somebody that's when he's found himself at a loose, you know, a, a, a loose end. Has, has actually watched Welsh colleges rugby on S4C, but um, so I will watch rugby whenever it is on. <laughs> but um, yeah, I don't think you're a very good control. No, for I, this, I, I, uh, appreciate this I appreciate that. I appreciate that I'm not. But I just think, why wouldn't you want to watch a team like Connor play against a team like Leinster? That's a fucking fun game, like. Yeah, I, and I honest, and they started to a team full of established internet. There's, you know, that there was British Lions in that Leinster team. Yeah, loads. They team. weren't beating it, you know. It's, yeah, uh, so that's the. I, it it did really ram home the image problem that the Pro Twelve has and needs to deal with, because it needs to just pull people in and think. Well, yeah, I am interested in the game between Connacht and Leinster because it's a big fucking deal. Because it was a big deal, and yet somehow it wasn't marketed that way. Right, so maybe that's a discussion for another pod. What Probably. can the Pro 12 do to stop them thinking it's so shit? Mm. Maybe tell JB to stop having a go at it. That <laughs> might be a start. Um, let's move on to the shit good ratings for the weekend and beyond and whatever it is you want to talk about. I'll start with a good one, shall I? Uh, mm. to go, while, we're, while we're on Connacht. Uh, Ali Muldowney, the yeah, second row, who player. I believe is off to France. Oh, is he? Oh, that's a shame. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. Any... any uh, fans out there at Blood and Mud you can let me mm. know if I'm wrong but I'm, I'm sure he is second row right these were stats on the weekend 19 passes because he kept operating mm. in that sort of second first receiver role didn't he mad yeah 19 passes 11 carries 14 tackles 3 line out takes and he stole one line out as well I mean, you know and, and how many people beyond Connacht and Pro 12 fans will have heard of him yeah, exactly. I mean, didn't he used to play for Exeter? He did. He's, he qualifies for like pretty much every single nation in Europe. <laughs> He's English, Welsh, <laughs> Scottish, and Irish qualified, basically. Wow. I think if he, if, if he had some snails, he'd be able to get in a France team. 
<laughs> well, it's a couple of three years in France now, and he's uh, he can start on the wing, literally be qualified for everyone and playing for none. Yeah, so. Uh, but um, yeah, he's just such a like. That's the thing about this Connor team is that it has these players that you've probably never heard of, who are putting in these. They're raising their performances to such great levels. It's just so encouraging to see and so heartening to see. It's yeah, it's ace, and, uh, and he was very, very good on the weekend. John Muldoon crying at the end. Born oh, and bred, I played for Galwegians. Born and bred, uh, uh, Connick man. So it would have been if he was a fan, he'd have been it's, crying as well. But I, you know, that's I mean, imagine if exactly. you were him. You know, I'd have needed a saline drip yeah. when I was back in the. You've thing. just cried that much, probably. <laughs> and yeah, that's the thing. It's like things like that are what has made this great. It's like there's no someone like it's like John Muldoon. There's no airs and graces about him there's no great secret about what makes him a good player he is you know a slightly less good version of Paul O'Connell in that he's big and he's hard yeah. and he's slightly terrifying you know and but like you say you could see that it just meant so much to him and it meant so much to, like, do you see the pictures of the the homecoming no I've not seen him no when they oh it's fantastic there's literally the entire population of Galway is there at the airport, and it's just like they've—they've they've literally never had anything like this to to celebrate. It's not even all, like five hundred and seventy-two of them at the airport. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's not even like the Leicester City Premiership thing, where you know Leicester have done things in the past. You know they've got promoted, they've had something. To, Connacht have literally never had anything no. to cheer about ever until and they, this. And they've, they've has all come together in this glorious moment. Province since eighteen ninety-three. It's a long time to wait. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I could be wrong. I'm not an expert on the history of Irish rugby, but as far as I'm aware, not, they've never done anything like particularly significant like no. this before. They produced and, Eric Elwood. Yeah. That was about there it. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, we could probably go through the entire Connacht team and just name yes. them good, really, couldn't we? I mean, Healy was great, Daddy Locum was great, Marmion was great, but um, yeah, let's not do that. Um, good for me. Uh, Alex Good, like I know you remain unconvinced by his potential as an international fifteen, but he's been on another planet this season from any other English fullback. And I watching that game again on Saturday, I just I actually did to pick up on your point, did say to myself, he's got to start. In Australia. He's so much better than Brown because the lack of pace has become irrelevant. Yeah, it's, that's the thing. He's he's not explosive, but he's such a good reader of the game, and he's such a balanced runner. Like he almost doesn't yeah. need to be that quick because he has that sort of he always it's the cliche to say he always looks like he's got time but he always does Campesi wasn't that exactly. quick exactly and as these things go you know and actually you don't need to be if you're that kind of player and you think on the hard ground to Australia you know his his sort of style of that sort of mazy elegant running could could work quite yeah. well potentially um, ball in two hands, good you know, always looking like he's another Saracens yeah. player yeah exactly um, another good one, another Saris player, um, is Chris Wiles. Like, I mm. kind of think he doesn't get nearly as much credit as he deserves because he's an American, you know? There's kind of this inbuilt prejudice in rugby circles against players from non-traditional nations. I think we're all guilty of it at Yeah, times. absolutely, yeah, yeah. But, like, America, Canada, Japan, Georgia, you know, particularly backs. Like, mm. if he was scoring tries like he does in the way that he does and he was English or Australian or a Kiwi... Oh, they'd never shut up like, about we'd it, yeah. be yeah, they'd be fating him as one of the biggest stars in the Prem, but because he's an American winger, it's kind of like 
people are slightly reluctant to say how good he is, but he is really fucking good. He is, yeah. Sam Roberts on Twitter, who's a who's great bloke. Sam, his, his writing's mm. very good. Uh, please have a look at it his is. blog; it's really good. Mm. He uh, he writes for the Rugby Blog as well. Hello, Rugby Blog guys, if you're out there. Um, mm-hmm. He said he said exactly the same thing. He's one of the best wingers in the world, probably. He manufactures tries out of nothing. Look mm. at where he, he scores does. tries from. And you can have a go at how terrible the defending was for that try, where he rolled on the floor and got up again. But actually, he does that quite regularly. So it can't always be the defending, can it? Yeah, no, his lateral, his, his eye for a gap and his lateral quickness is exceptional. And he, a lot of and interceptions and stuff, things like that, you know, it's stuff... Yeah. That it's, it's not looking at as regular, is it? No, exactly. Um, uh, from good point of view, Will Fraser and Henry Fraser's moment at the end of the game. Yeah, I mean... Uh, there was, which was enough, again, like a Connacht moment, enough to warm yeah, your, and, and your cockles. There was another one between them at the, at the end of the Champions Cup final and, like... True, yeah. It's, uh, it's just, it's and Henry Fraser actually said as well in his tweets and he says it's amazing, this is amazing for me brother Will he's been through so much I know I found that incredible <laughs> it's like yeah yeah you're saying that mate yeah alright it's, it's it's so touching and it, it really reminded you about what the game's about at the end of the day it was like for as much you know what life's about actually yeah exactly and I mean you know. for all the sort of say that we don't like Saris and, and they're slightly irritating etc etc stuff like that you you can't begrudge it you can't deny the how great it is and yeah it was it was really lovely yeah so anything good else from you there uh, yeah a couple of southern hemisphere jobbies um i was watching uh the waratahs worryingly dismantle the chiefs um on saturday morning and michael hooper um just over a month ago, uh, ex-Wallaby coach Bob Dwyer called Michael Hooper the worst open side flanker in Australia. He actually did that. Um, oh, rent a god, Bob. He's great, isn't he? <laughs> he did. Um, uh, if that wasn't a motivational tool, it worked because Hooper and, and the Waratahs have been getting better and better ever since. But um, fucking hell, Hooper was on... He, it was another planet rugby on Saturday morning. He tackling, breakdown, work, link play, scored two tries. He was everywhere every time against arguably the best team in super rugby if not the world mm. and they absolutely dicked him um, and speaking England beware I would say in that regard because him and Pocock are both in worryingly good form again and that's that's only going to spell bad news I'm not I'm um, not worried we've got Haskell <laughs> exactly that, Haskell Robshaw what more do you want um, speaking of England beware actually uh, Israel Falau They've been trying this experiment with him, the Waratahs, for him at 13 for the last couple of months. And I've been slightly... You know, we all know that Australians love to slot their backs into any position in the line fairly arbitrarily without any sort of thought of whether it's going to work or not. Um, James Conner at 10, anyone? (laughs) Or uh, (laughs) Quake Cooper at 12, or indeed Adam Ashley Cooper at fullback. Um, But this one, um, it seems to be working and the results are kind of scary good. Uh, Falau also scored two tries against the Chiefs. but it was more just that what he did in that 13 shirt that made me take notice. He's such a big man and such a quick man. Like, you just sort of assume that wing or fullback is the best place for him. But, like, that, that gliding sort of elegant, run, balanced running style that he's got too. Like, he's now become worryingly good at finding space and putting others into space. I... And he was doing it time and time again in that 13 channel. And he's using those huge long arms to offload in the tackle and hand players off as well. It's like... The more time he spends at 13, the more I just think, oh, God, that looks a bit scary. Clive Woodward always had that view that the outside back starts at 13. 
I'm not sure I've agreed with him, but I think somebody like Follow is so talented that it, that is true. If you give him enough time, he has got the raw yeah. tools to to do a hell of a job in that position. As it's it, as he seems to be proving this weekend, and we shall see, won't we? We shall. Be, um, him, him and, that's 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 me for good. Um, um, shall we move on to shit? Yeah, Have we got any Twitter? In sh- in no no. Actually, Twitter was mostly shit stuff. Actually, so let's <laughs> let's go on to let's go on to. Um, some of it was good, but the ones I picked up were yeah. shit stuff. Uh, shit, mm. old Chudley's kicking for oh, Exeter, God, and that was I think when I said Exeter didn't look like they believed they could win. You know, a belief in winning for your backs comes from your scrum half. Your scrum half actually giving you know mm. getting the tempo right, getting the ball out right, and so on, and actually giving you driving you forward. And he just spent most of the first half doing these inexplicably awful box kicks they straight were, down really the Premiership bad, Player of the Season's throat. And then they just and, and then the chase was diabolical as well. They just kind of stood there while he just sauntered his way back to him. You know, that is the thing, isn't it? You simply cannot kick badly, and if you know, even if you kick badly, if you chase it hard enough, good things can yeah, happen. You, you turn but it into a, a reasonable kick, well, kick. Yeah, yeah. If you kick well and nobody chases, it, even if you kick well, if you kick badly and nobody chases it, you're just literally inviting misery and that's exactly what he did and it's a shame because he's Saturday. had a good season actually and it, 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 it's, yes, it's, yeah. it's, I'm sure he won't be happy and it's a shame that he's bookended his season with that because really, it it wasn't a great it performance a so there you go no equally um, on the Exeter front Henry Slade's I mean Jonathan Joseph must just be laughing his ass off right now because despite the fact that England are supposed to have this crop of young 13s who are soon to be world class and also despite the fact that he's nothing been nothing more than pretty like decent half decent for most of Eddie Jones's mm. tenure so far like it seems like his position's under no threat because these so-called soon to be world class young players just keep on having a fucking <laughs> mare like Slade's Slade's display on the first half on Saturday was so bad like every player has one of those days where just every fucking thing goes wrong and it is such a shame for him that it happened in the biggest game of his life but he couldn't tackle he couldn't catch he couldn't kick he couldn't look like he wasn't a reject from a 90s American boy band <laughs> yeah, audition the semi-mohawk he... yes the early 2000 semi-mohawk <laughs> was terrible wasn't it yeah I mean, he had a nice little offload for Noel's try but that really doesn't even things out no it so. was it was it was fairly awful I mean the thing about extra as well is everybody wanted him to win if you weren't Saracens didn't they and then every and then hmm, when they scored, absolutely. I mean, they really missed Chubby Tommy. Actually, I think he could have brought a bit of carrying, they did a, a bit, bit of carrying oomph that they might have needed. Actually, but he um, and every time they, they scored, and you like them, every time they scored, they actually blast out that tomahawk chop thing through the speakers, don't they? That, oh, no. which I can't even do it. Thing, you know. Oh yeah, because it sounds like you're being a little bit racist, yeah. maybe. Um, yeah, <laughs> we won't go there again. But yeah, everything. Oh, spent, lads, really? No, I, lads, I spent. Lads, I spent. Lads, come on. I spent all afternoon on that with Twitter. But yes. Um. So yeah, I just they they didn't have the every pretty much everything that could have gone wrong did go wrong for extra at one point or another on Saturday, and we could again we could probably go through all of the things that weren't very good about them. But yeah, it just wasn't to be. But I think uh, maybe next year. A shit for maybe. me away from some of this stuff was uh, Stuart Lancaster's got a new job. He has, has got he? a new job. It's uh, he's been appointed. He's been appointed <laughs> to a that? panel, not a rugby job. You'd be surprised to hear, but oh. he's he's been appointed <laughs> to a panel to look at culture in Great British in in GB cycling. 
Because Shane Sutton's obviously just all people's sheilas and told them to go and have fucking babies or something, which allegedly, allegedly, Mm. but he has resigned. Yes, you can massively see him saying that, can't Mm. you? I don't know, mate. Can't have a fucking baby. Oh, massively. So he's been appointed as panel to look at the culture, and he's because he is all about the culture. He'll, he'll, he he'll bring some culture. kind of I mean, ironically he will probably some be kind good of folding that. Rubik's Cube thing with all n- names and words written on it won't he to emphasise the culture yes he'll basically just start going around with like a stencil just putting motivational words on random walls which is uh, I believe his, his primary and then and then bring Sam Burgess in as team leader for the Tour de France <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look at Sam Burgess's thighs. Are you telling me that you wouldn't be a good cyclist? Yeah, he might struggle to get that bulk up the Alpe d'Huez, but yeah, he'd. Uh... <laughs> but then again, that's not st- that. Yeah. Questions like that didn't stop Stu before, did they? No, exactly. Um, other shit for me. Uh, the top fourteen. Mm. Um, there is still a round of the top fourteen to go of the regular season. The final isn't until the fucking twenty fourth of when June. When does their season start in case you again? Need- I don't know, but in case you need reminding of how ridiculous that is, the 24th of June is the day before Wales, England and Ireland play their third and final test on the summer tours wow. and they will be playing their final. What's even more absurd, however, is that on the 25th of June, France are playing their second test against Argentina. So they're going to be on tour despite the fact that their domestic league hasn't even finished. French rugby, you are ridiculous. Back Tower's all right, though, isn't it? Because he's just been released by the Sevens. Yeah, well, <laughs> that's why the, this is the future for them. They're just going to have all of their international <laughs> Play players centrally contracted. So the, so the top 14 could just carry on permanently. Yeah, can't pick um, Pascal Papp, i yeah. Yeah, no, or anyone who's <laughs> quite good. But you can pick Vakatawa on his own. So um, other shits for me, uh, George Ford. I mean, I know Eddie Jones is fairly vociferous in his defence of him, but he was a fucking shit show. Yeah, he was. Um, in quite a few, like uh, Eddie Jones said that everything else but his kicking was good. That's I would disagree with that. Um, no, his kicking out of hand. I understand backing your players, fair dues, Eddie, but yeah, that's bollocks. Yeah, this is the simple fact is though. This is what George Ford looks like without the Owen Farrell shaped security blanket, and it's quite <laughs> awful. That's yeah, true. Um, like two, 14 points he left on the field that's two converted tries that's a hell of like, a lot of points how on earth like how on earth like Jones's notion of a Manu slash Benteo playing 12 thing will ever work with Ford at 10 is beyond me so surely the, there's only one answer for that Glenn question Glenn on Twitter after all of our bigging up of Ashton this week and me saying on Twitter I was agreeing with loads of people on Twitter that he's, I think he's class and it's not a problem at all uh, and then Glenn Sexton pointed out his exuberant try celebrations in the final when he he must have known he wasn't even close to drowning uh, to grounding the ball when he basically bounced it like a basketball <laughs> yeah. and he jumped around like he just scored. Yes. Which comes on to a lot of stuff around uh, this is... holier than thou attitude. Actually, Carl Asco or Ascuff on Twitter got in touch and said he's pissed off in rugby is holier than thou attitude. Fans defending Dan Bigger in one breath, then berating footballers' antics the next. And also, kind of, you know, allow it, but then having to go at Ashton as a kind of double standard thing here. See, because I've got. I think, A, yes, the bigger thing is shit. Like, he, I understand his frustration, but bigger and bigger. Gatland, like I said, it was passion after the game, but that's bollocks. He was out of control, and not for the first time either. And it is a slippery slope from arguing with the officials to mm. actually abusing them. And he definitely needs to get a hold of himself. And Sexton remonstrating with Nigel Owens after his forward pass ruled out Kirchner's try on Saturday was equally yes. unedifying, to be honest. Um, and all of that sort of stuff 
isn't good. However, however, I'm going to go off on one here. Um, <laughs> Settle in, everyone. As you, as it, as it, strap on, folks. Um, this pompous, holier-than-thou proselytising from like fans and rugby journalists about how like rugby fans or rugby players should behave. I just, I'm getting really fucking bored of it. Like, I read a column today that said that Dan Bigger should be ashamed of himself and that he's disgraced the sport and that he should publicly apologise for arguing with um, uh, Marius Matreya because he set a bad example to the kids. Which, I mean, it's just the most comically pearl-clutching overreaction to someone well, who basically... Well, someone please their... think of the children! It's, it's like, he just lost his rag for a minute and then he was fine. Like, I... This is a sport that we've made an art form out of these sort of ridiculous sort of, as you say, what somebody think of the children overreactions. Like, I believe that rugby has values and that the sport should be wary of allowing sort of things that erode those values to pass unmarked. But in a season where we've kid-gloved on-pitch racial abuse, we've greeted violence and thuggery with a shrug of the shoulders and a, well, it's contact sport platitude, and yet losing your cool momentarily when you've been fucking robbed by an official's incompetence is somewhere beyond the pale. And it's not just the bigger thing either, because obviously loads of people were booing George Ford um, for being Mm. bloody dreadful, and I've seen all sorts of absolute nonsense from a lot of very prominent rugby writers in the last 24 hours about how they should be ashamed of themselves and they don't, you know, the sport doesn't want fans like that. And it's like, like, do I like that? No, I, I don't. I don't. Mm. I wouldn't sit there and boo George Ford if I was there. Do I understand why a fan who's paid 50 odd quid to watch a player mentally implode with each shit quick kick maybe gets a bit annoyed and gets on his back a little bit? Yeah. Like, I've always had, I've if, always had a serious, I've always had a problem with this. And I do think it comes from that years and years of the amateur era in rugby mm. where our betters who ran the game like to tell us how we should all behave. That's kind of really that, what created Rugby League. Yeah, and that's kind of the thing that really... Because it's quite... A, I, I don't want to sound like I'm making this a national thing here, nationalistic thing here, but it's quite a sort of English thing and like that English rugby establishment kind of thing is this that is to sort of look down on you know booing the kicker or or players that argue with the ref or any like but it's seen as all of these sort of things it's like a, it's almost like a sort of pompous colonial hangover yeah i've i've like, never i've never given a flying shit about people making loads of noise when people kick they make loads of noise when people do a line out throw why do i not have to be silent then then you know i don't i've never quite understood yeah, exactly. that anyway it's like, you know why yeah, if you boo, it's like booing is like the most polite and inoffensive way of expressing your displeasure, displeasure that mankind has devised. It's not abuse. It's not like yeah. calling them a twat or anything. Like they're pro- like professional players can deal with soaking up adulation and cheers. I'm pretty sure they can deal with the occasional boo. Do you as want well. players to be? Do you want players to be booed by their own fans though? No, I don't. But I just think. To get you don't think it should be treated like it's the end of the world if it happens. Well, no, I just think it's like you say. It's 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 this sort of notion that that our betters are telling us how fans and players should behave. Like these uncouth commoners and foreigners <laughs> should be banned from their sports unless they behave in a way that they deem fit. Like it wouldn't happen if we left the EU, Josh. I'll tell you. <laughs> but like the stuff that's 
been said on Twitter by some very prominent rugby journalists and, and ex-players in the last 24 hours, you'd swear that they were a bunch of fucking Victorian Methodist priests. Like, it's, Rugby it's... has always had this problem. For, before it started to clean up its act in, in many ways, it was always this hilarious situation where everyone piped on about it. It was wonderful that we all called the referee, sir, and nobody ever answered back. But then again, we quite liberally tried to shout and we had no exactly. problem with just king punching people off the ball without him even giving him a chance because that's the thing that a lot of the great hits in rugby we all love it's not two men squaring up it's somebody coming from the side and completely cheap shotting some bugger you know and everyone thinks that's great and that was all okay because that was a manly thing to do sort of thing and, I, and now hmm. we've cleaned that bit of it up um but we're still kind of going. But we're still, but we're, we're still more willing to forgive acts of quite excessive violence compared to some bloke going, "Hey, mate, yeah. fuck off." Sort of thing. Yeah, and it's like, what sort of weird double stand? And it's it's almost like this sort of notion that like that perceives that like English players don't dive in football. It's a you nonsense. Know? It's yeah. this sort of yeah, it's this nonsense sort of backwards thinking rooted in a suspicion of people who aren't like who are different from the norm. I think the wor- the worrying thing it's, for everyone is it's the thin end of the wedge argument. It's that once you start mm. giving them that much. Because you don't, you know, once you start giving them that much, then the next step won't be quite seen as much. Then the next step won't seem as much. And then you'll be like Rugby League. Because mm. Rugby League used to be very good in shutting people down, and now people openly row with the ref in Rugby League. They do. And, yeah. and you know. And I, 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 so where do you draw the, the line? I don't then? think. I, yeah. I don't agree. You have, well, don't you have like, to come down hard on this stuff then? Otherwise, it'll just keep moving towards where you don't want it to go. I think you need to come down on it, but I it's think the moral it's tone the, of it. It's the moral, yeah. It's the moralising and the sort of the sniffing from ivory towers at, at these uncouth players. It's like, well, no, he lost his rag for a minute. Warren Gatland should take him aside, have a word, and say, "Look, that's not how we behave on a rugby field when it doesn't go your yeah. way." And that should be the end of it. What Dan Bigger doesn't need to do is make a public apology for momentarily having a bit of a shit fit, and equally. If players want to boo someone, if they've paid, if uh, fans want to boo someone, they've paid fifty quid. They can do what the fuck they want. If they really want to, if they really want to spend their time booing a player on their own team, I don't understand it. But Reese Policeman, I mean, Reese Policeman definitely on. doesn't understand it. <laughs> well, well no, exactly. let's. I have a, I have a I, feeling. That's, there's a difference between booing him at. Go on. There's a difference between booing at a ground and seeking someone out on Twitter and calling him a twat and saying he's shit. Yeah, you know, it's like it's. So I have a feeling a number of just, people yeah. are going to disagree with you on this one. So please, please get. Oh, get, I'm sure they don't, will. Don't respond to at blood and mud, please. Please respond directly to at Josh Gardner. <laughs> you can copy me if you want, but I'm not getting involved. Feel free. Feel free. I will argue until you give up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, but by all means, I I I appreciate that this is something that not everyone will agree with. But for me, I, it just really wound me up today. So yeah, I had a little. Josh, we thought we wouldn't have much to talk about this week, but I think we brought it to an end. I think we uh, pretty much have. We have, haven't we? We will leave you on that point, and Josh is going to go and sit in an ice bath for a while to calm his was, pulsating yeah. anger. I'm just going to go sit here quietly. Maybe turn the lights off. 
just uh, yeah. Uh, we're going to finish as we always do. Well, we did last week. We didn't have the technology to do it. I couldn't be bothered anyway. We're going to finish with <laughs> the loop. Thank you very much for the suggestions that we've had. We have had one uh, that we're going to use next week because it fits more. It fits more comfortably with the feature. The shows next week is going to be a preview of all the summer tours coming up, and then we're going to take a view on what we want to do during the summer, really, because we might run out of material. But we'll we'll see. We'll see how we're doing. Let us know what Indeed. you want us to do. Um, so we're going to finish the loop the world's first and only rugby related playlist and this week we're going right back to the 70s 1978 to Hold the Line by Toto their other song yeah their better song they've done some crackers Toto actually I wouldn't consider call myself a big Toto fan but Hold the Line is a fucking banger I play drums and I spent a very, very, very long time going slowly insane trying to play the introduction to Rosanna. <laughs> it's famous among drummers as the Rosanna Shuffle. It doesn't sound it, but it's unbelievably fucking hard. Any drummers out there who can play it, all power to you because I struggled, I'll be honest. Um, thank you, Josh, for another week. Always a pleasure. And we'll speak to you next week about the introduction of the new tour. See ya. Indeed. See ya.
The world of work has changed dramatically and organizations are evolving. A full or part-time MBA from UCD Smurfett School equips managers to react at pace and deliver change. Now is the time to transform your career and gain a new business network. Join our virtual MBA Experience Day on Saturday, November 20th. Register at smurfettschoolie forward slash events. UCD Michael Smurfett Graduate Business School. Developing impactful business leaders. Sports Social Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.